You're listening to the Mind Your Business Podcast, episode number 331. Today, we're talking about how to clear trauma to increase performance. This is part two, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and with 13 years online, I've built my business to over $9 million in sales per year. And this is the first non-business business podcast that shows you how to apply the principles of spirituality, energy, and mindset to create true and lasting success all from the inside out. This is the Mind Your Business Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? James Wedmore here. Thank you so much for tuning into a very, 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 very special episode here on the Mind Your Business Podcast. I cannot wait to get into this. I am recording out in Sedona, Arizona. We just closed on our first property out here. So I'm kind of running around scrambling, getting measurements and getting the utilities set up and all the little things needed to get this thing livable. Fun adventures in that, let me tell you. And in between that, I'm recording episodes. So I just wrapped up an extraordinary episode interview, three-way interview that I can't wait for you guys to dig into. So back in September of 2019, I brought on a gentleman to the podcast, episode 293. And that gentleman's name is Dr. Don Wood. Now on that episode, which had unbelievable feedback, Dr. Wood talked about the science behind how trauma, most trauma that we have like as a young child in our formative years, and it can be bigger trauma, but it could also be like the little stuff, you know, like when a teacher says, you'll never amount to anything, right? The big trauma and the little trauma and how that is playing out in our lives today, how that's affecting our health, our happiness, and as entrepreneurs, your performance. And the feedback was incredible. It was extraordinary from that episode. So thank you guys who reached out to me and to Dr. Wood. I know a lot of you guys actually started working with him and then shared even more feedback. It was a pretty impressive episode. So I'm going to tell you what we're doing today. And then I'm going to tell you that I'm just going to warn you, start with that episode. So here's then what happened. And I kind of explained this, so I'll keep it really short. But uh, it was so good that I decided to bring Dr. Wood out to one of our mastermind retreats. It was the last mastermind retreat of the year. He performed his four-hour process with all of our mastermind members. Pretty unbelievable. It was at that point that I realized we've got to hire him and talked to my wife, Chelsea, about it. And she was like, yes, 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 yes. And they did a one-on-one session and it was unbelievable. So this episode is taking that conversation from 293 deeper. And I am bringing my beautiful wife on to this episode. So this is a three-way interview with Dr. Don Wood and my wife, Chelsea, on her entire journey and her experience, the before, the during, and the after, okay? And it's so great because it's just going to offer more insight and understanding to the nature of trauma and what it's like for somebody and the, the entire experience of it and the silver lining that exists that a better way of living is possible for everyone, that we can go from surviving and just trying to get by to thriving, to really truly living. And that is the gift that Dr. Wood has had in our lives 
and it's the beautiful unfolding experience I've had the opportunity to witness in just the past couple of months in my wife and pretty extraordinary. So this episode is going to be extremely valuable. It's going to be even more valuable when you go and listen to episode 293 first. So if you haven't done that, start there because we just kind of kick off from there. There's a lot that we don't talk about in this episode. We're assuming that you've listened to that first episode first, okay? So please do that first. I really want you to do that. And then come and enjoy this one, okay? That's episode 293. We'll have it up in the show notes for you because we just take the conversation deeper. There's so much additional insights and and just like thoughts and beliefs and perspectives that, that Dr. Wood provides as we're telling Chelsea's story. And it just kind of brings that whole first episode to life. To a, It gives another depth of dimension to it. And so, fantastic. So, so proud of my wife and so excited for this episode. And thank you guys preemptively for listening. All right. If you're still with me, it means you have listened and we can just get right into it. So, let's get started. You guys, very excited for a very, very special interview call that I have with you guys today. First of all, a very special guest that I have, my wife, Chelsea here. (laughs) Chelsea, how are you? I'm so great. Thanks for that introduction. Yes. Bringing her back on the show. I know you've been on a few episodes, but it's been a while. She's actually sitting at my office while I'm out in Sedona, Arizona. But we've also got another special guest. I mean, this is, I feel like this is just going to become a very special episode. And that is our returning guest from episode 293 of the podcast. We'll link that up in the show notes. And that's Mr. Dr. Don Wood himself. So, uh, Dr. Yeah. Wood, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Mr. Doctor. Mr. Doctor. There you go. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming back on the show. This is just very special. And I want to just tell all of our listeners like what it is we've got going on here, what it is that we're doing today, this idea that we've kind of all three of us come up with. And it really starts with the episode that you and I created together back, uh, back in September, I think it was. It was back in September, September 30th of 2019. It's episode 293. And it was a conversation that got started around trauma, how trauma is affecting your performance in life and business. And this was so eye-opening. And this is something I love to talk about. I'm very passionate about the idea and the concept of performance, performance as an entrepreneur, And just like increasing performance in our life. And the feedback we got from this episode was extraordinary. A lot of people had already heard of you. You're you're a legend in your circles. And then a whole bunch of other people heard about you. And people started getting in your program. And people were coming back and sharing the results they got from your program. And it was so amazing. Um, So I will say, guys, it's going to behoove all of our listeners for you to go back and listen to that episode first. Because what we've designed this episode to be is a jumping off point from that episode to go deeper into the deep end of this entire conversation. But the feedback was so good. The episode was so good that I reached out to Dr. Wood and I said, could I please have you come and speak at our Inner Circle Mastermind Retreat? And it was kind of this very, very special treat for our members at the end of the year. It was like our last, you know, second to last day. And you spent four hours taking them through your magical process. 
And it was intense and it was, it was unbelievable. And I still have members talking about that four hour session, but some really profound things happened for me. And that's what's sparking this episode. I think Dr. Wood, you're a storyteller, right? You, right. you tell stories of all the people whose lives you've helped. And you started telling the story of your wife while you were there in that room. And I know you talked about it on the podcast, but it was just something you said about her differently that I wasn't hearing. Maybe it was because I was more in interview mode on the podcast, but it, the craziest thing started happening as you were describing your wife. Maybe it's because we had more time together. I was like, is this like a practical joke? Is he <laughs> describing my life with my wife? It was like, is this, is he have a secret camera in my house? Because you would say things about her that I felt like you were saying about Chelsea. And, you know, and, and I think we have to give a little bit more context about what some of those things were. There's nothing bad. It was more like just experiencing and noticing these people that we love that would be going through anxiety or in a really, you know, stressed out, troubled state when we were just sitting there like, what's the problem? <laughs> you know, what's wrong? And I kind of pulled you aside and I just spoke to you about that and let you know that. And then I told Chelsea right away and I said, we got to do whatever it takes to connect to you guys. And I just kind of like pleaded to Dr. Wood. And I was like, will you, will you work with Chelsea? Obviously like Chelsea, is this something you want to do? And then boom, can we make this happen? And it did. And what we'll get into is kind of the before and after, because why we're doing this episode is I'm meeting a new Chelsea that I've like never seen before. I'm getting to discover my wife at a deeper level than, than I've ever experienced before. And that I think will make sense as we go through. But I'm like, there's days where I'm just like, who are you? In the most beautiful, amazing, and incredible way. And I have questions for you, Dr. Wood, about that. And we're going to get into all of that. But I think a great place to start, I want to start first with Chelsea. I'm hoping you can share a little bit about some of your experiences to give people more context of why we would both say, yeah, we got to work with Dr. Wood. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. I'm getting teared up just thinking about the opportunity that Dr. Wood gave me because it was truly life-changing. And I've been through therapy and years, I mean, decades of therapy, seminars, workshops, extended workshops. And in the four to five hours I spent with Dr. Wood, like I experienced the most profound transformation. So that being said, <laughs> my life up until that point was, well, it just, I didn't realize how different it was from so many other people's experience of life. Like I felt like anxiety and shame was part of everyone's daily experience. And I lived in that and it informed my decisions, my behavior, my experience of my life in such a tremendous way. It was looking back in hindsight, I can only describe it as suffocating and smothering. But when I was experiencing it, it just felt like that's par for the course. That was normal for me. And marrying somebody like you was, James, was different because you don't have that. And 
you don't live your life that way. And so it was really hard for me to even try to describe it to you in a way that you could understand. I mean, you did your best, but like I wasn't equipped with the vocabulary to explain it. And then on top of it, you hadn't experienced it yourself. So, but there's so many people like me suffering out there unnecessarily. So for 42 years, that's how I lived my life. I mean, it really felt like from day one, that's how I lived my life. I I can kind of think back to my early childhood memories and realize that this was a part of my daily like existence from the get-go. And then I met with Dr. Wood and it changed everything. Well, and I want to give, I'm hoping you can give any specific example that would come to mind. I'll start with one. I'll never forget this. We were sitting on the deck and you had a friend over, I think it was Candace. And we were just sitting there talking, having a leisurely conversation. And then bam, you went into a panic attack. You remember that? And you were just like, you just start breathing heavy. You're like, I'm having a panic attack right now. And we just kind of had to breathe through it. And we had all these coping mechanisms, right? Like doing math or counting or trying to like move your attention or whatever. And those were just, regular occurrences. Nothing we were talking about was anxious. We we're just having a good time, like leisurely talking out on the deck and very relaxing, peaceful place. Boom. I'm having a panic attack. You know, those are things that wouldn't, that would happen. Do you have any specific example that I, I know you're, I put you on the spot with that, that <laughs> you called calls to mind for you that can give our listeners more context. Well, first of all, just being able to identify a panic attack is like a real achievement in most people's like Mm. who suffer from anxiety, like not thinking that you're dying when you're having a panic attack and being able to say like, oh, this is just a panic attack, even though it doesn't necessarily lessen the like experience of what that is, being able to identify it and realize that you're not indeed dying is a huge, you know, triumph. But specifically, yeah, I mean, it would just... It could be circumstantial. It more often than not came on. I mean, even more recently than that, and that was a couple of years ago, but like, I mean, I'll, I'll come home at night after a, a large event that we've hosted and have full-blown anxiety, and I'll have to put on my heart rate monitor because I'm afraid that you know, I'm, I'm literally having a heart attack. It's often a depletion of my own resources. It is sometimes me taking on other people's energy because I'm an empath, which I think a lot of people who suffer from anxiety actually are empaths. And that's part of the problem. They're just sensitive and not just sensitive, but their, their superpower is sensitivity and they don't really know how to manage it. Or at least certainly I didn't. It would, I mean, like I said, there are circumstantial triggers. And then at the same time, nothing at all will bring it on. And it's really debilitating. Like it is, I can't tell you, James, how many times I've actually like resisted asking you to bring me to the hospital because I'm, I don't want to seem too dramatic. I mean, that's the other part of the other side of what anxiety is, is it's like, you know, or you believe that maybe you're being too dramatic, but you never know. And you're like, is this it? Is this the time where I'm really going to have some sort of physical ailment or so you just never know. And I don't know if I answered your question there, but like it is. It can be really, it's, it is terrifying to have panic attacks. Well, and, and I think you talking right now is just another testament because to fill our listeners in, there's more examples, which is like even getting you on an episode in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you'd, I'd be like, I'd, I'd wait until you're in a really good state and be like, Chels, and I'd pitch you on an idea. I got an idea for an episode. What do you think? You want to be on the show? And it was like, <gasps> and then you'd, I'd finally convince you. And there'd be a lot of times where you'd like back out like on, or recording or start talking. And they'd be like, I, I, I wait, start over. I can't. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Just, I mean, and that, there you go with like performance. Like there were times where you'd, you would stop and then be like, can we just start over? Can we delete that? I don't like that. I, I don't know what I was saying. And no one would know because we have a great editor, but I saw that in real time. And here you are. None of this has been edited. So, wow. Like this, to me, that's just one small example of black and white difference. Now to bring Dr. Wood in what, uh, what Chelsea is sharing is this something that you find as common when you're working with clients that are like, oh yeah, that's just trauma right there? Is there other things at play or is Chelsea like a very unique case? Well, you know, a lot of people who suffer panic attacks, there's a lot of high performing people like Chelsea who experience those and is debilitating. And so sometimes it's caused by trauma sometimes, but the way I always like to explain a panic attack is it's actually a little different. A panic attack is a combination of psychological and physical. And so something is going, like when you talk about a trigger, something is reminding your mind about something, but there's no real danger. So your mind can't find the danger, but you have that feeling, even if it's subconsciously, that something isn't right, but you can't identify it. So what happens is, and this is where this glitch comes in, is then the mind starts to prepare the body just in case. So below your conscious awareness, your heart rate starts to increase as a precaution to start getting preparation. And when that happens, it changes the oxygen and CO2 levels. So then what happens is, is then because the oxygen is lower because we've got more CO2, we're breathing a little bit faster, and the oxygen is not getting into the blood because it's going faster through the lungs. So what happens is, then the body starts using oxygen reserves from the muscles, which then produces lactic acid. And then all this while, while this is going on, your mind is looking for a problem. It starts getting signals from the body that we're running out of oxygen. We got excess CO2. The pH of the blood is changing. We're building lactic acid. All that starts telling the mind that something's wrong, but it can't find the problem. Does that make sense? So if you start yeah. getting these physical signs that something's wrong, that's alerting your mind to the, the danger somewhere, but we, why would we be running out of oxygen? We're being chased by a lion, but we can't see the lion. We can't find the lion. There's no lion around. So then that constant reminder that physically something's wrong and the psychological something's wrong, boom, a panic attack comes on. Because the mind says we can't find the danger, but we're getting all the signals that there's something wrong. So I, I developed a, a patent for a band that we're developing that will detect a panic attack before it ever comes on. Wow. And what I did is I wrote in the panic attack that a panic attack is starting about an hour before you even realize it. You don't even know what's coming on. Yeah, you and shared that with me. That was, that was profound. Yep. So in the patent, what I wrote is that if we can identify that there's a panic attack on its way and we can alert you to it after now, Chelsea, that you've gone through the program and James, you know, too, that we give you the tools, right, to shut it down before it ever even starts. That's incredible. 
And there was a study out of SMU, uh, Southern Methodist University out of Dallas that, and I found this study after I wrote the patents that we added it in, is that a panic attack does start an hour before. The problem is they don't know what to do about it. Mm. But we know what to do about it, so we're able to help you shut it down before it ever starts. Yeah. And, and, and I think just to go back, Chelsea, you know, there was, there was a lot of other experiences beyond just panic attacks, I think. And, you know, it's, it's not to throw my wife under the bus or anything. It's kind of just like dealing with sharing what we were dealing with. But, you know, there were times when, you know, you wouldn't really want to leave the house, right? Times when, uh, you know, not like Howard Hughes shut in style that bad, but like, you know, we are introverts, but like, you know, even just going out was like, you no, know, prefer to stay in. And then, you know, maybe that's more of like a social anxiety, right? Like just being around other people. What was that experience like for you? Yeah. So I really want to try to do this justice because I know it, it, it can differ for everyone. There's a couple of things that I've been able to acknowledge trigger me that I wasn't as aware of or aware of at all before working with Dr. Wood. So two that come to mind and hopefully more will as I, as I talk about it, but one was, yeah, leaving the house. Like I feel very secure in the four walls that, you know, are like the, the, the structure of our home. And I can venture outside and talk to our neighbors and live among our cul-de-sac. But beyond that, running errands, it is a bit of social anxiety because I do feel this like responsibility to society, this need to make everyone feel acknowledged and it's a tremendous amount of pressure. It's not necessarily my responsibility, but I feel like it is, or it's not my responsibility. I recognize that now, but for decades, I felt like I go out into the world and I need to make everyone's experience better having met or encountered me. And that alone was so much pressure. And then also like my need for cleanliness, like I am anything out of place starts to kind of make me feel unsettled. And then it can escalate very quickly. Like an empty can or bottle can go from being an empty can or a bottle to something that is literally threatening my livelihood. So I go from zero to 60 which I don't even think is an apt analogy anymore (laughs) because cars go way faster than that now, but it escalates very quickly. Something that is benign becomes malevolent and threatening instantly. And before working with Dr. Wood, like I was unable to identify it, deal with it, any of that. Like I just, I just was like along for the ride of that anxiety train and I couldn't even slow it down or, get ahead of it to acknowledge that it was beyond me, that it wasn't something that was actually happening to me, but something that I was sort of manifesting in a way. So, yeah, those are two really good examples and two kind of, I mean, like examples, I think some people might share with, like it has an OCD quality about it. I don't, I've never been diagnosed with OCD, but when I did have our dog and I was living prior to moving in with James, 
I was single parenting my dog and I just had tremendous anxiety around leaving him. And I would get down to my car and I would drive a block and I'd have to turn around and go back and check the lock and certainly not disturb him. And it became this thing that was like, I couldn't leave my house without having guilt and fear follow me. Like I couldn't even enjoy my day. I, it was, I mean, there were, there was not a single, it didn't feel like there was a single moment of the day where I wasn't worrying about my dog at home. Uh, Well, let me ask this, Dr. Woods. So are there correlations with the work you're doing with trauma and things like OCD? Oh yes. hundred percent. Cause what's happening is, is the mind, like when Chelsea was just describing how she feels like when she goes out, she has a responsibility to make sure everybody likes her or that she's taking care of everybody. That's coming from a safety issue. Mm-hmm. Even the, having the order cleanliness is that if I have order and I know where everything is, I'm safe. And if exactly. I go out and people like me, I'm safe. It's exactly. all coming from the primitive brain. Think about a thousand years ago. If the tribe didn't like you and you got excommunicated, you right. died. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so it's going back to that kind of our brain still operates with those primitive instincts. Now, that doesn't make sense to us in our society today, but 95 percent of your mind is still working with those primitive instincts. Yeah. And it's going to go back to it. And then you marry a guy who gets like passionately obsessed about conquering his fears and doing the things that he thinks are impossible just to see how far he can go. Right. But that's just fuel to the fire. But hopefully in Chelsea's sharing, you can get a sense of like what I was seeing, what I was feeling, which was like, I could feel all of that. And I'm like, she's suffering and I don't know how to help. And I don't feel like somebody should be in as much pain as she is. And it was just like, for me, I tend to just be someone that watches so much, rolls off my back. It's like, all right, new day, whatever. I just like, yeah, I always wanted that for her, you know, that. Well, you experienced the same thing. That's why it was, it was so nice when you were able to talk to me about it because you experienced what I'd experienced earlier before I really developed the program. Yeah. You know, I was doing the same thing. I mean, my wife was high functioning and I couldn't understand why now that she's living with me and I'm calm and, and she's living in the world that I grew up in, why she wasn't getting better. Right. Like, why is she still living with this fear? So I kept thinking, I'm doing something wrong. I've got to try to talk even more calm. I have to be very careful what I say. And I still couldn't stop it. Yeah. And so I felt a tremendous amount of responsibility right, about why she's still experiencing this, that I must be doing something wrong. And what I discovered is it wasn't what I was doing. It was coming from those old experiences that kept flooding in from memory. And so if I said something that sounded like something she'd experienced before, all this data is flooding in at the same time about what she'd experienced. And that was activating her nervous system to protect her. It's a glitch. That's what we've been able to identify and fix. And can I interject really, sorry, James, interject really quickly. Like there is for people, I feel like people might also be able to relate to the fact that like there was a part of me that really didn't want to let that go. Like I felt like, yeah, like I felt like cleanliness and people liking me and these constructs that I'd created for myself were of the utmost importance. 
And like anyone trying to take that from me was also like, again, threatening my livelihood. Like I think people who might be listening to this might be saying to themselves, but yeah, don't we all, shouldn't we all strive to have people like us? And yes, but not with the underlying fear that I and so many other people might be going into it with. And if people don't like me, my life might fall apart. Right. We are in danger. That's a threat. Exactly. Precisely. Yep. Now, at that four-hour session at our mastermind, I'm someone, and you did, you created this distinction on the last episode about like big trauma versus you know small T trauma, and you had gave us the opportunity to go through and pick some traumatic moments. And I want to reiterate too, we might get into like at least pointing to the fact that you know, I, and I knew this that Chelsea's had some trauma in her life. And it's not, nowhere near what I experienced growing up. And so I'll say the biggest gift in all of this was a deeper level of understanding for me. This right. gave me so much more understanding, like what you were saying, Dr. Wood, about like, oh, there's really nothing I can do. Don't take it personally. Don't try and be this like impossibly like, you know, like I might as well just wrap everything I say in bubble tape, uh, you know, and it's still not, it's still going to come, come off sharp <laughs> in some way. But I got, I got to have a deeper sense of understanding, which leads to more compassion, more patience. And that was a gift for me. However, that being said, I still went through clearing a traumatic moment. It was so simple. And I just want to share it because I shared it at the mastermind as well. I had a memory come up when I must have been about five or six, where my dad uh, whapped me on the head at a supermarket in the line. And it was because I was like fiddling with the toys and that was way at the end of the aisle or something. And he was leaving and he, he whapped me. And it was the craziest thing that that was like still something real and like relevant for me at like 35, 36 years old. And through the process you took us through, I was left with this incredible insight, which was I got to see it from a different vantage point. The first, you know, the original experience was this like really painful thing. I could actually feel the pain in my head when you took us through it again. I could feel pain on my, my skull by the end of it, I had this completely different perspective where I realized that my dad has this giant ring from the military that he must have just hit me with the ring and the ring hit and it was accidental and it hurt more than he even intended. And for me, there was just such a sense of like release and letting go from something. And this sounds so simple, but it's these simple little things of these nuanced things that to me are so profound because in that moment, I had an opportunity to re-experience something in my life that as a six-year-old, that was a traumatic experience. I was being hit and I was startled and surprised and it hurt to see that and re-experience it again from, wait a second, not only am I seeing it from another vantage point, but perhaps my dad didn't even mean to cause any pain and it was an accident, completely accident. Right. Um, wow. Right. And that was just small for me. So if anyone's saying like, Oh, Oh, you know, Chelsea, I feel for you, but I, that's, that's not my experience. I, I don't, that's not my life. I think this is relevant for every one of us because we talked about this on the last episode. It's really inescapable. How do you go through life without having little things that could happen that for the first time as a young little human being, you're like, ah, something's wrong here. Something's not right in the world. I know I look at my four-year-old nephew and when he was two and a half, they were walking the dog and another dog off a leash came and started attacking our dog. And I remember for like five minutes, he was crying 
And he was like, why, why is the dog biting the other? I'm like, oh man, he's got some trauma already. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you, how could we have prevented that? You can't unless you bubble tape them in their room, you know? So anyways, so Charles, we don't have to get into it, but you had some things, right? You had some, some traumatic experiences growing up that we could see it started connect the dots is that, I mean, you know, we don't have to go into it cause I want to get into kind of the aftermath of what life has unfolded for you, but could you start to see and connect dots for yourself? A hundred percent. Yeah. I certainly don't. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, my trauma involves other people, so I don't actually want to share too much of uh, that here, but I was able to connect the dots and Dr. Wood made, made me a promise or let's see, how do I say it without saying it was a promise? It was, you suggested that what I was going to deal with in the room with you in those four hours was going to eventually cover all the trauma that I had experienced. And then I didn't need to even pinpoint the worst trauma that I'd been through. I just needed to pick the three traumas that you and I were going to handle that day. And that over time and not too far in the future, the rest of the trauma would resolve itself. And like you shared with me in one of your case studies, like I truly did not believe you. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that was too good to be true. It does. It sounded too good to be true. And I was like, I'm sure that works for other people, but I have so much. And there's a lot of low grade trauma there's a lot of low-grade anxiety in my life. And like, you just kind of learn to live with it. And you think that isn't going to come up or reveal itself in any way, shape or form. And the, the dots started to connect themselves within days. And then even earlier today, I was having another revelation. And it's been what, like months. two or three months? Yeah, at this point, two and a half months. Well, so, let's, let, let's show, I want to, um, I want to hear from Dr. Wood on that. Yes. What is the the thinking or the, the science behind that, that someone, okay, we're going to clear this trauma and resolve this, but she's got, let's say 10 and she only says it shares three. How does it have an effect on all the other experiences? Well, that's sort of what we, as we started developing the program, what we realized is that once we resolve two or three of these events, the mind then applies what it just learned. So you're in an alpha brainwave state where the mind is very focused and able to make changes. So as you're going through it during that four hours, we have you in that relaxed, focused state. As the mind then starts to learn a new technique, it then starts to apply it. So once we've got the process started, then it goes through when you go to sleep at night into a theta brainwave sleep, your mind is now applying what it just learned to any other experience. And we have so many, I mean, my wife was another example. We worked only on, I think, three different events. And now she goes back to her childhood and thinks about other events that had happened. We never discussed, they're cleared too. Yeah. And it's just, the mind and body are designed to heal. So, you know, if you came in with a cut, you know, and we left it, we never treated it, it will continue to, you know, have problems, right? get infection. And, but once we start, to apply, you know, stitches or we start applying antiseptic to it and we start cleaning it up, we don't have to think about it again. It just heals. Mm. It's designed to do that. You know, we have to sit there and watch it. All we have to do is just start the process and the, the body will take care of itself. 
and the mind is the same way. And Chelsea, does that feel like that's what your experience has been? 100%. I mean, 100%. It's shocking to me how the like reverberation of, is that even a word? Reverberation? <laughs> of, <laughs> sure, I'll make it up. The yep. reverberation of, of the effects of my time with Dr. Wood. And I was fortunate enough to spend a little, a few more hours with him than four because while the treatment only happened for, we had like an hour and a half to sort of connect personally before that, which was really profound for me as well, because I, it, put, it put me at ease so much. But I marvel at the awareness that I have at the compassion I have for myself, the compassion I have for the people in my life, the people in my past. It has had these echoing results as a result of those four hours that I spent yeah, it's in. in yeah, how, I mean, how would you describe like the initial day of day after, like the initial few days? What was that like for you? Because I, I mean, you called me as soon as you were like leaving the room, and I was like, "Well, t- t- tell me everything." And you were already like, "OMG, where do I begin?" Like you were already there of like, "Yeah, something's at work here." How much time do I have? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, like I don't. Well, I'm somebody who strives to connect with everyone they meet. Like, I don't always feel that same connection from other people. And I was hesitant going into spending any time in any space with anyone in captivity. (laughs) I'm quoting, using quotes for four hours. And I think I even expressed that to you that morning, James. I was like, what am I going to do if I have to go to the bathroom? What am I going to do if I have to go have a drink like or a glass of water? And so, you know, meeting Dr. Wood in the lobby was like meeting an old friend and somebody who I trusted instantly. And then those, we spent, I think, a total of like five and a half to six hours together because we were chatting personally, but like it flew by and it was kind of the easiest thing I've ever been through with the most transformation, if that makes sense. Like sometimes transformation is really challenging and painful and you kind of, you slug through it and you're like, all right, I'm going to cry a lot. And I'm going to have these like dramatic representations of things that are going on in my past or have gone on in my past. And I came out of that and I was buzzing. Like I, you know, had taken some sort of help me pill. (laughs) And I mean, that's, you know, and then I went to the airport because I had to fly home and Every, literally, I don't even think I share this with you, Dr. Wood, like every encounter after leaving you was amazing. I met people at the restaurant that I ate at while I was, you know, waiting for the flight, but I really had to process it. It was a really, it was a real, really internal experience. But then I just, I mean, I just had like one extraordinary encounter after another. And we had a really challenging flight home. It was, it's only an hour and some change between Phoenix and Orange County, but it was turbulent. It was terrifying. People, aside from myself, were screaming out loud. And I happened to sit next to a woman who is an aviation author. And so she had worked for the Air Force. And then her great-grandfather was one of the first 
the earliest aviators. And I have now since seen his name and her name everywhere since then. She held my hand. She talked me through it. And I wasn't actually like, I let out a, an audible yelp at one point And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't, I don't want to freak other people out when I'm freaking out on the plane. That's not my intention. But I let out an audible yelp. She held my hand. She talked to me. I was considering writing a book at the time. And she, you know, then had all these suggestions. And it was just like this extraordinary experience that I was open to and available to because I wasn't so worried as I would have been in the past of like making sure that I was safe. Like in that moment, I'm like, and I know this isn't going to resonate with everyone because trust me, I have worried about, you know, my imminent death since then at times for whatever reason. But in that moment, I was so secure in just like the present which is more or less what, you know, you are offering me is to be available to what my experiences are in that moment with no information, no, nothing informing, you know, my fear from the past. And it was mm-hmm. profound. And then even my like Uber ride home from the airport was incredible. And I came home and I'm like, oh my, I think, wasn't that the flight attendant gave me a bottle of wine because yeah, I came home with like a bot. He gave me, gifted me, the flight attendant gifted me with a bottle of wine on my way out because he was like, you were such a great passenger and I know you were really freaked out and you totally handled it well and mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And I was like, that was a really incredible experience to have after having such an incredible day with you. Then it was like these rolling breakthroughs. It really was, like yeah. Every couple of days, it was like, she'd come to me and be like, I just had the biggest epiphany and realization. And- I got to be honest, some of them I was like smiling and in my mind, I'm like, I know I've been trying to tell you this for years, but (laughs) hey, that's okay. And I'll tell you the biggest one for me and, uh, you know, it just meant a lot was Chelsea, when you came to me and said something to the effect of like, I see how this trauma and my anxiety has had an impact on you. And yeah, it's hard. You know, when someone you love and care about is suffering, you take that on, you suffer with them. You know, I felt so much of that pain. I'm like, I've never felt anxiety in my life and I'm anxious right now. Like, why am I feeling this way? It's like, I was feeling it. And for you to come to me and just, it's just that simple acknowledgement of that was, that means everything to me. So it's been pretty profound. I have a question for Dr. Wood. Do you prescribe to or resonate with like Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Is that something you're like, yeah, that's yeah. Pretty, yeah. Cause what I've found in my experience with Chelsea in these last two and a half months is that because she doesn't have that, you know, survival need from the trauma, that's not what she focuses on anymore is survival. And what I've observed, and we just talked about it kind of preparing this episode is she's been asking these questions that are the type of questions I've been asking myself for the last few years, which is like, what am I here to do? And what matters to me? And what's my gift and my purpose and how do I get fulfillment? And I'm like, whoa, like these are things I've never heard you ask before. And I see it all as connected. Is that what you tend to see that when someone's not in survival mode anymore, they start to ask like more thriving based questions? Absolutely. That's why we call it a performance program, not trauma therapy. 
Because if you remember the thing, Chelsea, we talked about, there's nothing wrong with you. There was never anything wrong with you. You just experienced life a particular way, and that was continuing to have an effect or interfere with your ability to stay present and in the moment because your mind continues to filter through those experiences to protect you. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Your mind would have to do that. So if James had lived your life exactly the way you lived yours and you lived his, you'd be in exactly the same position because that's how your mind responds to these events. When we clear that and we get your mind to be able to stay present, it can deal with what's happening now. And that's why we're seeing so many people get to their passions, get to what they want to do in their life. Because if you're in a constant fight or flight state, that's not how we're supposed to live. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to live in the present, but we just have these glitches because of memory. No other animal could do that. It's only humans that can continue to filter through these events and experiences until we get them resolved. My crude metaphor for this that Dr. Woods probably just going to, and Chelsea are going to just shake their heads and roll their eyes at me is, it's like imagining if you're trying to live life always really, really hungry. When you get really, really hungry, like you're starving, your focus becomes like, I need food. I need food, right? And you, like... You know, and I've noticed that like, you're just like, I, you can't think about anything else. You don't, you don't get, you lose creativity and like problem solving and new ideas and opportunity. And I just have to imagine it's, it's, you know, simplistic, you know, not trying to downplay anything, but like, yeah, if you were constantly in that state, you're not going to be very effective. And I've just seen Chelsea do things easily, like things that had a little bit resistance are just like, Oh no, I did this. I had a very productive day. Got this done. And, you know, when we were, you know, we've had previous episodes in the past, and this is the only reason why we wanted to talk about this too, where Chelsea and I were, were working together in the business. And it got to a point where it was putting too much stress on her that she's like, I'd rather, and I was such a proponent of it, not be in the business anymore. And she took a huge step back and I was so, so happy. We actually thought that would just solve everything. It didn't. It didn't. And what I'm seeing now from her, and I don't know, Chelsea, if you want to speak to this too, but it really has reignited a passion for writing a book for our new business with our Airbnbs that she is uh, furiously decorating and designing. And it's like, I'm just seeing a whole new side of her every day. And it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. So I don't know. Well, that was, you know, I, I think I shared the experience with my wife when she had been going through all this. She said she never felt smart. She would look at my report cards from when I was a kid and she'd go, gosh, school was so easy for you, you know, just a straight A student. And now that I understand what she was going through, I'd say, well, of course, school was difficult for you. Your mind is constantly focused on the threats that you're dealing with. You're worried about as a child, what's going to happen to you when you get home? What happened to you last night? So how could you focus? She could say she would be able to sit there and start reading a book, read an entire page and go, I don't remember one word of what I just read. And she'd have to go back and reread it. Now she's my greatest researcher. She researches like crazy. She's constantly sending me information. She's reading at a level she's never done before in her life. And she loves it because she can retain it now. Where if you're in a fight or flight mode, your mind's not worried about what's going to happen, you know, from this material, it's worried about surviving in the moment. And so that's not going to focus on anything. But when that clears and your mind is able to stay present, it changes everything. Intuition comes in, you know, creativity comes back, you know, and that's what you're experiencing, Chelsea. And that's what 
Why again, we call it a performance program. All we have to do is get your mind to reset. Once it resets, it stays in its operating mode, which mm -hmm. is being present and focused on what you need to be doing right now. Chels, do you have specific examples where you feel like performance has increased for you as a result of this? I mean, absolutely. I'm just, I mean, we, we have a lot going on. And so I'm able to kind of compartmentalize like, yeah, and I don't want to share this too early or, or even at all, but Dr. Wood has this great saying about it's okay to be okay when others are not okay. And did I get that right? Yep. Absolutely. Perfect. That's the way, that's the way I've, I've adapted it. But to take that responsibility off my plate has been an incredibly liberating experience. Like I am no longer responsible for everyone around me and their experience of life. Like I am responsible for how I behave and how I treat them and how I show up. But like, I don't have to make everyone else's happiness and peace of mind, my responsibility. And that's been, I mean, I don't, I think that's a direct actual, like not even just a byproduct, but a direct result of my, my work with Dr. Wood. So, but that has freed me up. Oh my gosh. To pay attention to what I hope to achieve. I mean, can you imagine spending your life like going around with, you know, in some respects, like a dustpan, like, okay, I've got, I've got whatever you're going to, you know, whatever crumbs you're going to drop, I've got them or. Well, and the, uh, real quick, the funny thing is, is I think you thought you were doing people a favor by doing that. Like I, that was a good thing or something because just in you sharing this, I have to share that there were times like if I'm having a bad day, like if I need to vent about something or if I get frustrated, I would immediately, you know, before Don would, you would, you would just get to the same level that I was at. If I was angry, you got angry. If I was frustrated. Um, I would get angrier. I feel like yeah, I, you're, took right, you're right. You would probably go, you would amplify it. And just the other day I was frustrated. Yes, guys, I get frustrated. You know, we all fall off the horse. It's just about learning to get back on faster. But I got frustrated with something and I saw my wife holding this space for me where she was giving me permission to get it all out and it didn't affect her. She wasn't angry. She wasn't upset. And we even had to like kiss in the middle. I was like, you know, I'm just venting and I need to vent and I'm not at all mad at you. Right. She's like, totally. And then we like dealt with it. And I was like, I needed that so much in that moment. And I was like, wow, like that was just an, that was impressive. And I, you know, I really appreciate that. So. And before what would have happened, James, is that if you had have been frustrated her mind would have started looking at things that were happening to her earlier in her life. And that's why she would have escalated because a whole bunch of data about her not being safe when people are upset at her mm -hmm. would have come flooding in and all that data would have totally got her nervous system dysregulated and she would have escalated to protect herself. Exactly. And she, was, well, she wasn't in danger. Exactly. I mean, it was, it, it was a really pivotal moment because People didn't even need to be upset at me. And James wasn't upset at me the other night. But them being upset gave me so much fear. And I would, I mean, you know, in, in those moments, like, okay, so first of all, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. So James was saying, like, 
I would get as angry or even more so like, yeah, he would, he would be frustrated with something. And then all of a sudden I'd be 10 times more frustrated than he is. And then he'd back off and he'd be like, okay, I'm not even frustrated anymore. And I'd be like charging at whomever. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was there times 10. And then I couldn't understand why he wasn't alongside with me. And that was frustrating. And then to recognize though, the other night when he was having a moment, I just channeled you <laughs> so much, Dr. Wood. Like no I, just, I was able to be a wife and a best friend and not the person who was trying to solve his problems or make it all better. Like, and he worked through it. Sponge, to the beat of sponge, just let me just absorb it all. Yes, let me take it on. And so, and, and by doing that, I was actually more of a help to you than I've ever been in the past because I was able to, like you said, hold the space. And I didn't judge you or take it on. And I just recognized, like, again, it's okay to be okay, right. even when the other person's not okay. And like, perfect. It was just a really awesome experience. I've actually shared it with both my sister and my brother today, in fact. Oh, yeah. And they've been saying such a difference in you. It's not, it's not just me, but a yeah. lot of other people have been like, what are you taking? I came out of that day and I was like, everyone I love, everyone I love needs to spend time with Dr. Wood. Or, you know, actually, more importantly, just, I mean, if they had, if you could scale, scale Dr. Wood, that would be great, but go through his program because everyone I love can amplify and optimize their, like, existence with this program. My adopted daughter, I was like, she lost her mom when she was 15. And I was like, Andrea, you have to go through this. My mom, my sister, my brother, my dad is the only same person who seems impervious to like, trauma, I swear to God. But he, um, you know, and, but they have all, every single person close to me has recognized this profound change in how I'm showing up as a sister, daughter, adopted mother, aunt, and they're incredibly grateful to you, Dr. Wood. And I, I really haven't expressed that to like, you know, the full effect, but my whole family thanks you. Oh, well, that's, that's great. So happy. You deserve to be happy. Thank mm-hmm. you. I believe that for a change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She didn't. Yeah. You no, know, she didn't for a while. Exactly. My afraid. wife was the same way. Yeah. Yeah. She was afraid. Was. Those were words that, that Chelsea, if you remember, that came out of your mouth. I'm afraid to be to happy. Be happy. Like yeah. The other shoe's going to drop. And if I'm happy, that means that I've let my guard down. I'm not safe. Something bad's going to happen. That was hard. You know, that was hard because I'm so happy. I'm like a little kid all day. Just, you know, and it was like, wait, what? You're not? It's more subversive than that, though. It's not as like, I mean, you and I kind of sussed it out. And when we were like talking through it, it was like, oh, I'm afraid to be happy. But it took me decades to figure that out even and like that even didn't feel entirely right you know like it just felt like no I am legitimately and justifiably afraid of something you know it wasn't like I'm afraid to be happy that sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud it wasn't that easy that's what we ultimately concluded but like it was a lot more subtle than that yeah. yeah, it's it's really like I said, so much coming from the memory. Like I, I I always use the story of I would say to my wife, "No, I don't like that," and she'd start to cry, and I'd say, 
why are you crying? She goes, well, why are you mad at me? And I'll go, wow, I'm not mad at you. Why did you think I was mad at you? See, as a child, she had learned to listen so carefully to the way her father spoke, because that was a source of her trauma, that whenever he started to change the way he was speaking, that meant danger. So when I said that, I thought she was responding to what I just said. I didn't understand that it was all the data, all the information about how many times she was unsafe when dad did that. And then all that would flood in. So she started to cry, not because of what I just said, but that's what I thought, but because of all the experiences that she had had and her mind was looping through all of those, which activated her nervous system and she'd be crying and scared. And I kept thinking to myself, how could I keep making this woman cry? It didn't make any sense to me. And yet, so I would then, you know, James, you've probably experienced this too, where I'd be afraid to tell her if something was wrong. Because, so then I would just try to hold it in because if I started telling her about something I was dealing with, right, she would then go to way past where I was, right? Yeah. So I may be worried she'd be panicked, right? right? Can I That's- actually say something too? So something you shared with me, James, right around the time that I was seeing Dr. Wood person was that my trauma and my experience of day-to-day like stuff didn't leave any room for you to have like a meltdown. Like it was always my stuff took priority only because I exacerbated and amplified everything I was experiencing. And that was so painful for me to hear because I felt like I had robbed you of having like just a normal human experience because I kept usurping or like taking it over. Like I couldn't help myself. It was like, okay, you're having a bad moment. Let me like ratchet that up. Let me make it, let me make it about me. And when you said that to me, I think it was actually before I saw Dr. Wood in person, but after he had presented at our mastermind, that's the exact opposite of what I had always been trying to achieve. I was trying to take your stuff from you rather than make it worse. And when I recognized I was failing at my like sole objective, it really kind of recalibrated how I was operating. And like, again, you know, made me a lot more of an effective wife and best friend to you. Like I set out to do one thing. I was effectively doing the opposite. And now all I had to do was sit back and just hold the space for you to have your own experience and not take it off. Such a difference. Just to give the example of the other night at dinner where I had my little moment. And I like, I still haven't thanked you now for like, that meant the world to me. Like, just thank you that you just like were the light instead of the sponge. And um, it was like, it just made us both stronger, you know, from that moment. And and don't hate me for what I'm about to share next, but with Dr. Wood sharing his example with his his wife, I think the similar example that we had was you with me not listening to you. Now I'm somebody that's I've always known I'm a very good listener. In fact, a lot of our clients and stuff will say, Oh my gosh, James, you remember something I said two and a half years ago. How do you do that? And I'm like, because I'm listening for all your BS. But I listen weird uh, if you look at me because I'm highly visual. So I'm usually looking up. So I, I, there'll be times when I'm very concentrated and I'm not looking at you. And I'm not always even, I'm like my ear is turned towards you. So I'll look away and I'll look up 
And there were times that I would be listening to you the most and you'd come back and say, why aren't you listening to me? And those were those times where, you know, I would be just like the same example that Dr. Wood that you shared. I was like, wait, not only am I listening, like I can repeat it all back to you and give you my full detailed analysis here. And it was like, I, yeah, that, that was hard. You know, it's like, well, I'm doing everything. Okay. So I did change. Right. And that's what the route we started going down is like, okay, I'm going to change how I listen visually so that, you know, as an indicator, you know, it's like, okay, I'll give more on eye contact. I'll stand close. I'll nod my head more. And uh, yeah, you realize that those are like, that's like coping, you know, that's just like dealing with it versus getting to what was really well, that's going the on. The issue is, is we're all taught to manage and live and cope with these things as opposed to fixing them. Yeah. What we discovered is we can fix it. And so the way Chelsea was operating before, she couldn't have done it any other way based on the way her mind had experienced life. So she couldn't, even though she wanted to, and that was her intent, the logical, reasonable part of her mind was saying, I need to be there. I need to be able to be, you know, understanding and listen. She couldn't do it because all this nervous system dysregulation was coming in because it kept going through all these experiences. So it was impossible for her to get there. She couldn't have done it any differently. Neither could you, neither could I, right? We're a product of our experiences until we get that to be reset. Yeah. And that's really what the, the whole program's all about. And when you do that, performance goes up because now people are staying present and in the moment. And mm-hmm. all the self-help books tell you that that's the key, but they don't show you how to get there. This is really what we've discovered. We can actually get there and stay in the moment. I mean, I, again, I know you guys think my metaphor is a little weird here, but like, it'd be really hard to stay present in the moment if you were really hungry and hadn't eaten all day. You couldn't you know? do like it. All you're think- thinking about is food and how much your stomach hurts. And yep. I can only imagine, you know, Chelsea at that level, like when, when it's, you're so much like in that survival mode, how could you focus on anything else? How could anything else be important other than survival? If you actually think you need to just survive right now, what, what could be more important in that moment? So, yeah. And her mind um, would be constantly going into that fear response, right? Which would then take her out of being present because it was going through all these experiences. Mm. and her mind was constantly calling for her to protect herself and do something about it. But there was nothing happening to protect herself from. Yeah. And then the other, like another facet of that that I've experienced lately is like, and I was kind of sharing this with James last night is, you know, and I don't know actually how much we want to share this on the podcast. So I'll put that disclaimer out there right now, but shame And the way, you know, I told James last night, I said, there are things that I've done and ways that I've behaved in the past that you don't know about. And I'm, that I, you know, have carried with me since they happened and they blindside me. I'm just going about my day. And then all of a sudden I remember how I behaved or what I did in a moment. And it destabilizes me. And you, Dr. Wood, have given me this foundation to recognize that like, well, and you'll be able to describe it better, but like I could not have behaved or done anything differently in those moments. And it's okay. 
And now I'm in the present and I'm not living those experiences anymore. I'm not making those decisions anymore. I'm not behaving that way anymore. And like, there's just nothing serving me by like recycling that visual or those, that experience in my head. And in fact, it's kind of, it's, it's given me this, like, I don't really know. I'm sure you can speak to it better, but I just, I feel like those things don't hold me hostage anymore the way they used to. Like I can work through them and recognize that like I showed up in that moment in those moments, the only way I knew how, the only way I could in those moments. And I don't know, I'm saying it really simply right now, but like, I'm not a bad person, you know, like, and that, and that's kind of what I've, that's a, that's a belief I've had for so long. It's like, I might rescue animals and I might, you know, show up for my friends in certain respects or whatever I do that might define me as an okay person, but I'm, I'm an inherently bad person. That was a belief I've had for as long as I can remember. And you dissolved that. Well, you shared last night too, which I thought was beautiful, which was the people you love in your life. If they did those same things that you'd been beating yourself up for, you would have forgiven them in a heartbeat. And you know, for anybody else that's holding on to those things that they, they regret doing or feel a lot of shame that might, I just think that's a fantastic perspective to look at if the person you care about the most had done the exact same thing. Would you treat them the way you've been treating yourself? I, I always use the, the, the story of if I had a filter and I pour water through the filter, it's going to come out clear. But if I put mud in that filter, which is the experiences, and I pour the water through the filter, it's going to come out muddy. So what's wrong with the water? There's nothing wrong with the water. <laughs> filter through the mud, right? So right. your life experiences with those, that mud. So it's going to produce a different thought, a different result if it filters through it. Once we clear that mud out, right? If you remember, the purpose of an emotion is a call for action. So the reason you would feel guilt or shame about what you did is because your mind is saying, do it differently. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Well, you couldn't have done it differently then because you didn't have the experience to know that. And so once that all gets cleared up, your mind changes the way it produces thoughts. You know, and and I use the story of the U.S. military intelligence and Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. So Germany has it, France has it, England has it. So what do we do? We decide to attack them. And we go in there, we take them out, we do all kinds of damage, and we find out he doesn't have any weapons of mass destruction. So what do we do as humans? We start second-guessing ourselves, saying we never should have attacked. What does it say about us? What kind of people are we that we would attack a country? But how could we have done it differently based on what we knew at that time? Right? If we knew he didn't have it, we never would have attacked. Right? So it's unfair to judge ourselves based on the way we operated when we were dealing with our own set of circumstances, our atmospheric conditions. You yeah. couldn't have done it differently. It was impossible for you to have done it differently until you get that cleared out. And that's what I said. It's not about you. Right? It's not a good or bad right, situation. It's just what it is. And I experienced life the same way you did, I would have come up with the same thought. Mm. And it doesn't mean we're not responsible for our thoughts because we are, we have to take responsibility, but at the same time, we couldn't have done it differently. But your mind for many years has been trying to get you to do it different. (laughs) Right. Don't do it. So if we could make you feel guilty or put enough shame on you, this is the way your mind's thinking. 
you'll do it differently 20 years ago because your subconscious mind operates in the present and it thinks whatever you're thinking about is happening now. That's the glitch. Yes. And that, I mean, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with emotion right now because of that. Like I am the kind of person that like replays something ad nauseum in their head, hoping that if I just sort it out in my head, it'll come out differently. And it's exhausting. That's how your mind's been trying to protect you. So my wife would say throughout our marriage, before we developed this program, is don't you wish we never did that? Or what if this had to happen instead of that? And I could never go through that exercise with her because I'd say, why do you do that to yourself? Like what ifing yourself all the time? But it was the way her mind developed to protect her. Yeah. But if I had have come home 20 minutes later, maybe dad would have already been left or I wouldn't have dealt with what I had to deal with. Or what if this had to happen? So she was replaying it. What she didn't realize that her mind was actually trying to fix it because it thought it was still happening and it could change it. But it couldn't change it because it wasn't happening. That's what we fix. Once your mind gets through that, then it stops filtering through those experiences and it changes the way we respond to the current situation. Something that happened years ago accidentally that brings us full circle back to the high-performing entrepreneur is when I started drawing the connection that the more mistakes I'm making, the more failures I'm having, the more bad things happen, the more my value and experience and wisdom just shoots up. And I started getting like, just even more excited to like, cool, this is either going to work or it's not. And if it doesn't, I'm going to turn lemons into lemonade here. And that's one reason of many why what we're talking about is so, so relevant for the entrepreneur, because if you're trying to fix and change everything and judge it as bad and then judge yourself as bad or wrong or shame, you're missing all the gold that's coming from everything that is inevitable that will go wrong in your business. All the problems, all the drama, all the issues, the breakdowns, the failures, that's part of the process. It is the process. That's where you grow. That's where you learn. And that's where you grow. I don't know. Something clicked for me years ago. It was like, wow, I've learned learned so much from this. What else can I mess up so I can learn from that too? But yeah. But the advantage for you, James, is you had never experienced any major trauma. So those experiences could be kept in perspective. But had you, been, had you been hurt by that or saw somebody else hurt or you had, had a different kind of an experience, then mm-hmm. that may have filtered a little differently for you. Right. So but it was the same thing for me. Even with that said, I still had little T, small T trauma that was still impacting me over the years that through, yep. you know, different, different, you know, like I mentioned on the last one, I went through an EMDR process and I'd been through other stuff where that some, and they were little, not to judge anything, but it was they were insignificant. They paled in comparison to stuff that like Chelsea's gone through and other people, but they were still had an impact. I mean, wow. Like I had an example of like being laughed at by a group of kids that were older than me. And you know, I was like five or six years old and a group of like high school kids like laughed at me, or at least I thought they laughed at me. Oh my goodness. It was like, boom, there's like social anxiety, shyness developed right there in that moment. Because the mind still continues to look at that in real time. Yeah. How do I avoid so, that happening? How do I avoid that pain? Because it's trying to stay away from pain. Mm-hmm. So your, your survival brain is constantly trying to avoid you having pain. Yeah. So if we stay away from people, we don't experience that social situation. We're not going to get hurt. They're going to laugh at me. 
I just, I, I want to go back. I, I don't want to skip too much over like what Dr. Ward was saying earlier, like that I really felt like if I thought hard enough and long enough about something that happened in the past, I could fix it. And we all know that's not going to happen, but like my brain literally believed if I reworked it in a certain way, or if I came up with the right way to behave 15, 20 years ago, I could absolve myself or uh, dissolve the trauma from that experience. And, and by the way, I had some self-inflicted trauma. I mean, like some of the things I'm talking about, the shame that I'm talking about is self-inflicted trauma, just ways of behaving that I am really ashamed of. And I cannot thrive when that's all my brain is trying to do is fix what happened in the past. And Dr. Wood gave me the tools and the resources to, to move forward with that and to recognize, you know, to, to recognize that loop, like you say, Dr. Wood, that loop that like, it's like, you know, just this Thing on repeat that won't go away and that it takes saps me of all of my energy. So that's now going to constantly activate your nervous system, which is going to yes. create inflammation in the body, which is going to affect the neurotransmitters in the immune system. So we're going to yeah. get sicker. We're going to feel bad. And then we're just going to start trying to take medications to try to fix it. But all we really need to do is get the mind to update and reboot. So it stops that loop. So I didn't have that loop. Not like that, that my wife was having. So right. in her mind, her mind was, she's been walking with a sprained ankle until I met her, right? That felt normal, right? Yeah, I just walked with a sprained ankle, right? I don't even notice it anymore. So she was, but her mind was not okay with it and trying to update it and fix it all the time, but she couldn't because it was impossible. And so those emotions were the constant calls for actions. Do something about it. Right. And yet- because if you have, what's the purpose of fear? To escape a threat. Right. So if you think about something that happened to you 20 years ago and you feel fear, that doesn't make any sense. Your mind thinks something's happening because it's seeing it in real time and it's saying run. Right. So like when I worked with the Boston Marathon, you know, bombing survivors, they'd start to cry when they started to talk about it. I said, you know why you're crying right now? They say, well, because of what happened to me. And I said, right, but um, your mind thinks a bomb is about to go off. And it's trying to get you to run from the bomb six years ago that doesn't exist. Exactly. And imagine that as an entrepreneur, like if you're an entrepreneur and you're operating from that vantage point, like how, how are you going to actually, I mean, just take, take it back risk. to, yeah, take a risk. I yeah. mean, yeah, I know James, you'll be able to bring this back easier than I will, but I'm just saying like when applied, if you haven't, you know, been a, a victim of capital T trauma, like how does this apply to you? Like, well, we're all doing it. And in what capacity is this affecting your life? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm the idea guy in the business. Mm. And I get crazy ideas. A lot of them work. And in the old days, like, yeah, Chelsea would be the really risk assessment. All the reasons why it won't work. And I'm like, yeah. of course, there's going to be a ton of reasons why it won't work. That's why it's a crazy idea. <laughs> That's the whole point. Yeah. You know? But there's a chance it might work. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm shooting for. And that, that was just my, that was my perspective. I'm like, all right, this is going to sound crazy guys, but here's what I'm thinking. And, and I, like, I no. went around with a safety net trying to prevent 
things from happening, which is really no way to operate in life. And like, I still, I'm sure there are still people out there that are going, well, you know, yeah, well, we all need. You're still, you're still responsible. You know, you're, it's just like, it doesn't consume your, your being and inform you that right now it's life or death. That's a big difference. You can still be, you can still have conversations about mitigation of risk and being smart and hedging your bets and diversification and mapping out the worst case scenarios. And you can do that from a place of empowerment. Exactly. Not fear, not from this place of this is exactly, this is what is going to happen. That's versus, the distinction. It's, it's not life or death anymore. It does not feel like, you know, a life threatening situation. And, and those can happen. A great example is one of the testimonies you'll see on our site, Joel. Joel was a business guy. He was trying to get his business off the ground, just couldn't get it off the ground. And, but couldn't understand why. Now, he didn't have any major trauma. He grew up in a very loving home with great parents. But what he didn't realize and what we sort of came up with, what we realized, is that his parents were always telling him if he wanted to be successful, he should get a job, buy a house, have a pension, right, and retire. So he's an entrepreneur. So every time he got close to any risk, he would end up having to try to create a new way to avoid the risk. He didn't realize he was even doing it. So if he had to now go get some space to start building his business, he would try to figure out a way to maybe get space with somebody else, right? So they didn't have to take all the risk. He didn't realize he was doing it. And his parents didn't do anything to try to hurt him, but they had created this belief that risk was dangerous. So he couldn't get his business off the ground because he grew up with that belief. As soon as we got this stuff cleared up, he did about a million dollars worth of business that year. And now he's doing about $4 million worth of business. All so, because he was always working around a plan instead of like, as you know, as entrepreneurs, risk is a part of the business. That's why you make more money than everybody else if you take the risk. Yeah. A lot of people are afraid to take those risks. Right. But that's inherent in business. Yeah, 100%. Well, listen, I could keep going. And first of all, let me acknowledge Chelsea for the courage it takes for you to come on with all these listeners and just share vulnerably and authentically the good, the bad, the ugly, the messy, you know, Chelsea and I have always made a commitment that we, we want to sh share the messy and the beautiful and that the beautiful, the messy is beautiful. And then everyone has challenges. We're not trying to be some like fake, perfect, happily ever after ideal. And this is the things we've gone through. And the beautiful growth, I wouldn't change it. That's the irony too, right? I'm not going to go back and change it and wish it was any other way. In fact, I feel like it provides so much more richness to my life. So huge um, acknowledgement to you, my lovely, beautiful wife for taking the yeah, time. The, let, let me acknowledge that as well. It is. It's, it's tremendous, Chelsea. You'll help so many people because everybody thinks everybody else has no issues and that they're dealing with the look at you and, and see the success you guys have, right? That that's just been an easy path to get there. My wife, when I first met her, swore me to secrecy. I could never tell anybody about what had happened to her because how are people going to think about her or judge her? And I kept saying, they're not, but that I couldn't get through. Now she tells everybody. She's not <laughs> afraid of it anymore, right? She, she'll sit down and say, yep, here's what happened to me. This is what went on because there's no more shame and guilt, yeah. right? And so that's freeing when you, can, when you can do that. So congratulations on, on that. That's life-changing for you. Yeah. Great job. And for you too, James, as well. Yeah, Having your no, wife really. come on and share. Yeah. yeah. 
very no, courageous. It's, it's really Thank special. You. Yeah, it's important uh, for me to. I mean, it, it's tough, and I don't, I don't, I don't want people to feel alone, and that's how I felt for so long. So, like, it's m- my objective to make people feel like they're not alone so and thank you and obviously a a huge acknowledgement to you Dr. not just for what you've done sharing from the first podcast to what you did for our members at at the inner circle but obviously i'm super grateful for your help with chelsea yeah i want to say on one level it's like i got my wife back it's like what i saw is glimpses of who she really is at those times, I saw moments. Now I get the whole thing. And I get that all the time. I get that 24-7 versus moments, fleeting moments of it. It's every day now. And that's, that's unbelievable. That's incredible. So, I think uh, what you said to me earlier before, a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, is that it feels like Christmas morning every day. Right? Yeah. It's like a new surprise, a new present. It really coming. is. It's an, here, guess what I just realized about myself today? <gasps> yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so listen, okay, if you're listening, if you're still listening, that's because this is relevant to you. And it should be, especially if you're one of our entrepreneurial listeners, we could sit there and say, do I have trauma? I don't know. I didn't do that. I knew, oh, there's stuff there. There's stuff there for all of us. And if we want to perform at higher levels, I'm just going to say that the work that Dr. Donwood should just be like required reading. It should just be one of the the prerequisites that you have to go through. So there is an opportunity. It costs more to work with Dr. Donwood in person. If you have the means, you have the funds, I'd highly recommend do it, but I don't know. Probably by me saying that, I'm going to cause some huge like one year waiting list, but it is what it is. But he does have an online program. We've had members of ours take it and share unbelievable results. And we want to give you guys an opportunity to get into that program. So here's what we're going to do. So Dr. Donwood is very generously offering our listeners a 20% uh, discount on his program for the next seven days. So for the the first seven days of this episode airing, you're going to get in for 20% off. The promo code, the coupon code is going to be in the show notes. There's no affiliate commission. I don't take a single dime. I just want to get the good word out and help as many people because I've seen it. I see it with our clients and our students. They're dealing with stuff and it's like, cool go to Dr. Wood. <laughs> and here he is. And, you know, we've seen the impact firsthand and it's pretty extraordinary. And I want to pass him on and his stuff on to you guys. so You can get the support that you need so you can increase performance and clear that trauma as well. So, you know, one of the things, James and Chelsea, what I talk about now too, is when we talk about small T trauma, I'm referring to those as emotional concussions. Because it's not a big trauma. It's an emotional concussion. You got bumped along the way, right? You got a little concussed, right? So it doesn't have to be always big T trauma. It can be that teacher that said, you know, you'll never be smart enough to go to Harvard or you'll never be good enough to do this or a coach. Those are emotional concussions that can still have an effect on us today. I feel like if everyone worked with you, Dr. Wood, you would change the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Might as well put him in front of the, uh, the chain makers <laughs> and start there. Yes. That's you guys. So any final parting words uh, from either Chelsea or Dr. Wood before we wrap this thing up? I mean, I kind of just said it. Like I once had a vision for doing this thing called the I Am Love campaign, which I've, you know, since sort of fallen back on. But 
the idea was to change the consciousness of the world. And I feel like Dr. Wood's doing that on a much more optimized level. And like, I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to work with him and just impact the lives of those around me. Everyone in my life has seen a difference and has, they've changed as a result. They show up differently. So it's already working. The ripple effect is there. So I am so, so eternally grateful. You've given me my life back. I'm so, I'm so glad. And, and I can tell you that the, the first podcast that we did and I, and I met James for the first time and then meeting him in person, like when he said, let's somehow get you out here so we can figure out how to work this together. And then meeting you as well, Chelsea, you two are a special couple. So I'm so glad that this helped you guys because I can see how passionate you are about helping people and giving back. And I'm just glad to be a part of what you guys are doing as well. So I think it's just a good combination, a good team that we can help people and you guys can help us do that. So I'm appreciative of what you're doing as well for us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both for taking the time to be here today for a very special episode on the podcast. Again, for all the information on how you can go beyond this episode and work with Dr. Wood. We'll link all of that up in the show notes, including the promo code, but it's only going to be available that promo code, that discount for the next seven days. Okay. That's a special gift Dr. Wood is providing. So please thank him just for this episode, just for our listeners. That's all up on the show notes. All right, you guys, thank you again. And thank you to our listeners. This is a long one and you made it all the way to the end. And I really appreciate that. We all do. So thank you. And we'll see you on the next episode here on the Mind Your Business podcast. Take care. Did you know eight out of 10 businesses fail within their very first 18 months? I believe being an entrepreneur means unlearning everything that we've been taught our entire lives about what it really means to be successful, which is why I've created a brand new audio program entitled Activate. I wanna show you how to think, act, and behave like the successful entrepreneur that you were meant to be so you can step into the vision that you have for your life and your business. And the best part is this program is yours absolutely free. To register right now, simply visit www.jameswedmore.com forward slash activate and we can get started right now.